This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 343, submission number 2091, Lots of Luck. Lots of Luck aired on NBC from September 10th, 1973 to March 15th, 1974 for 22 episodes. I used to buy a pickle. It only used to cost a nickel. And a bus ride only used to cost a dime. Lots of Luck. 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 After hearing that, I'm expecting at some point uh, Greg or somebody doing a Jimmy Durante. Cha 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 cha. Lots of luck. Cha cha cha. Well, that was a little less Jimmy Durante and a little more Dennis Miller cha-cha. And cha-cha! I'm so glad that now we've been going to establish that Jimmy Durante is a character after the last episode. <laughs> hey, Jimmy Durante and his gigantic Gorgonzola. Shinazola, not Gorgonzola! <laughs> it's a Shinazola! Cha-cha-cha! cha-cha-cha! Jimmy Durante and his giant shit is <laughs> Let's shuffle the categories. Okay, June, it's your pick. Did we shuffle them yet? Well, let's do it. Yeah, interesting we're still talking about a show from the 70s brought into the 80s, but we're supposed to be talking about a show from the 70s. Cha-cha-cha! Ah, Good cha-cha! Here we go. It's 70s- cha-cha! Get moving with the show, cha-cha! I placed seventh at St. Bernadette's. (laughs) The 70s were an interesting time. In some ways, a continuation of the free love era of the 60s, and others, a conservative rebuke of it. And by and large, the optimistic visions of the future and the wanton return to the past gave way to a stalemate that saw the rise of the middle working class as we know it that only seemed to exist in the here and now. Legendary television writers Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Denoff, fresh off success with The Dick Van Dyke Show and That Girl, wanted to tap into that sentiment. But the Brits beat them to it. Damn Brits! Ronald Chesney and Ronald Wolf created a show called On the Buses about a working-class life of Stan Butler and Jack Harper, the crew of the number 11 bus at the Luxton and District Motor Traction Company. They originally pitched it to the BBC, who, for some reason or another, decided, you know what, we're good. 
They had better luck with Frank Muir, the head of entertainment at London Weekend Television. I have to pronounce that correctly. That's what I can't say. Yeah, London Weekend Television. No, it has to be London Weekend Television. They loved the idea. They gave the show an order of seven episodes. It went on for seven seasons, from 1969 to 1973. The best Carl Reiner and his buddies could do at this juncture is take a few of the scripts, Americanize them, change things around, make it fit half an hour, and give a rising comic a break. That rising comic would be Dom DeLuise. Oh, Dom DeLuise? Who's that? No, no, you know, some guy. But yeah, Dom DeLuise, this was the first televised show to feature Dom DeLuise. Well, of course, you would know, have this big old career with the Cannonball Run movies, among other things, because he was in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, he was Burt Reynolds' like second banana. Yeah, I mean, we can mention stuff like the Dom DeLuise show back in the late 80s. And also, just a couple weeks ago, I was watching Cozy TV, and he played a doctor... On the Munsters. And this is back in like 65, 64. Yes, but also I'd be remiss if we didn't mention. He was the voice of the title character in the movie. Munchie. (laughs) As featured in MST3K season 13. And if you haven't seen Munchie, it is ridiculous. It is so stupid. It's great. But also, I think this is the first time I ever get a chance to mention this on the podcast, because this is a future entry. One day we'll probably do a theme month of VHS like episodes. Dom DeLuise had a cameo in I can't believe I'm saying this. A promotional tape for Kool-Aid called The Wacky Zany Video. Do you know what the Wacky Zany video is? It's essentially a 30-minute advertisement of Kool-Aid, maybe? Yes, filled with some weird crap that Kool-Aid thought, ah, let's just throw it on this VHS tape. The kids will love it. It was basically the 1991 version of a YouTube poop. I love those YouTube poops, especially the King of the Hill ones. King of the Boggle. Hank's Bad Fur Day. Hank of the Hill. Oh, hey, Greg. What? You know where Dom DeLuise <laughs> also was? Oh, where was he? He was in the first set of Americana. That's right, he was. Was this a Mike's Americana moment? Well, we've talked about Americana in the past, and I just love talking about it because it is, in my opinion, the best non-sports trading card series ever. And the thing is, as I told Greg many years ago, like probably close to 20% of the people who were featured in this are now dead. Dom DeLuise. Including Dom DeLuise, yes. And Ed McMahon. Bernie Mac was in there. There were just so many people who are not with us. 
Oh, Greg, I, I I think this is series two, and and I've been looking at eBay f- at buying this, Greg. Yeah, you know you know who is in series two? Who? Ernest Borgnine. Oh no, That's, that is fantastic. Hold on a second, if I can find it, just hang on a second. If I can find it, give me time out. Give me one second. I'll take a picture of it. I can find it. And I'll send it in the chat. Just stay right there. All right, it's sent. Jeez. Oh, oh. <laughs> wait, is that is that in your collection? Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, can you explain what it is? It is a picture of Telly Savalas and Ernest Borgnine. They are co-stars, and there are fabric swatches from the shirts that each of them are wearing, it looks like. And it's Americana. We, we need to throw that out. It's Americana. It's a Don Russ Americana card, yes. And the crazy thing is, Greg, I can tell the card below it is Johnny Lee Higgins, 2007 Absolute Memorabilia Rookie Premier Materials card. I know who that is by looking at it. How yeah, because... How much of a card freak am I? Yeah, because remember, back in the early days of YouTube box breaking of cards... It seemed like everyone who busted a box of 2007 football cards got a Johnny Lee Higgins. I got a Johnny Lee Higgins from Absolute Memorabilia, actually, the same card series. We might have the same exact card, but different numbers, serial. Well, no, mine's autographed. Oh. Yeah, sorry about well, that. Yeah, because I collect the swatches. What's that numbered out of? Oh, the Ernest Borgnine, Telly Savalas? It's 10 out of 250. Oh, dang. Nice. So low numbered cord. I probably got it at a cord show. So, and the funny thing is, I got that cord way before we started doing the podcast. So, it's just coincidence that we did a show about Telly Savalas, and Ernest has become like a big character with that one line. Who loves you, baby? I masturbate a lot. I was hoping the answer would be what Chico said to that line that Ernest Borgnine says, "Who loves you, baby?" Loves you, baby. I masturbate a lot. That was Telly Savalas as Ernest Borgnine, by the way. And that was extremely creepy. It just was. A just a little bit. Oh, boy. And, and I should also add, since we're apparently playing show and tell here this week, uh, in the mail yesterday, uh, I got a card that I bought. I think it was on Sunday night. And this isn't from Night Court. This is uh, from Smallville. But what it is, it's a Richard Ball autograph. That's I right. I saw that. But the thing is, it's a Richard Ball autograph because there's no Night Court cards out there. And obviously, Night Court just uh, in the last couple of days debuted. And Richard Mall just celebrated his 80th birthday, as we noted on the Twitter page. Oh. www.twitter.com slash it was thing on TV. We don't know how much longer we're going to be there, but but it's there. The plugs come early and often. So, uh, yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> talking about lots of luck. Yes, we're talking about lots of luck. And basically, Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Dunoff took several of the existing scripts of On the Buses, Americanized them, changed the setting from a bus to a bus depot, and gave them to the best actors they could find. And they were pretty good. I mean, this is 
Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Dunoff. You think they're going to settle for just whoever? Uh-uh. No. Not happening. So, starring opposite Dom DeLuise as Iris Belmont, who is his mother, Kathleen Freeman, who was in everything from the Blues Brothers to Naked Gun 33 and a third to Inner Space to... And we talked about this before the show. She apparently did dinner theater in Cleveland. No, Warren, Ohio. Warren. Okay, Cleveland adjacent. More like Youngstown adjacent, but whatever. Whoa! Whoa! Hold on a second. You know who else she played? She was not on camera for this. She was the voice of Peg Bundy's mom on Married with Children. What? What? Peg Bundy's mother never was on camera because supposedly she was very huge. Oh. But yeah. Uh, so, uh, so huge that, you know, you'd have to, like, use a flatbed uh, truck to, like, get her in the house or... Obviously, if you've ever seen Married with Children, there's been many a you know fat joke. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, Peg Bundy's mom was the butt of many of them. Next, we have playing the role of Stanley's sister, Olive, is Beverly Sanders, who was in uh, the live action prequel of the Scooby Doo movie, Scooby Doo: Curse of the Lake Monster. I only bring that up because Haley Kiyoko. Hi, how you doing? But yeah, she was also a sister figure for Mindy McConnell on Mork and Mindy. One episode of Mork and Mindy, I should say. And aside from that, she was pretty much uh, that 70s lady from that 70s thing. Because I can't find another show that she was actually in long term. I know she did six episodes of Rhoda, but that's pretty much it. But I'm going to tell you this. She's a tomato. She is definitely a looker, yes. No, no, we can't say that in 2023. She's a tomato. She's no Katie, though. Always a Match Game Hollywood Squares reference. Good job, Greg. Good Good job. job. And playing Stanley's brother-in-law, Olive's husband, lazy as hell, Arthur Wynn Irwin. He was a diehard too, as an engineer. I'll die hard too. That's a sequel to a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's right. And also, Die Hard Two does take place at Christmas too. Oh yeah, Die Hard Two takes place at Christmas. Good. That still doesn't make it a Christmas movie. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. That's okay. You know what's so great about Die Hard Two? They find a way to work in Reginaldville Johnson in Die Hard 2, even though he's on the opposite coast in L.A. while John McClane's in D.C. Oh, and Dennis Franz is in it, too. Yeah. By the way, Bob Saget, a year gone. Reginaldville Johnson's now America's TV dad. Oh, yeah. Have you seen those ads Reginaldville Johnson's in hell? That's why I said that. Yes. Mike, have you seen those ads? Which ones? 
Uh, I believe it was a progressive ad. It was some sort of insurance, either progressive or Geico. I can't tell the difference at this point. But well, yeah. pro well, progressive. Well, progressive. They're the ones that have Doctor Rick, so it probably isn't that. It's probably Geico. Knowing how they get celebrities and uh, the stuff they do, it can't be progressive. I'm just saying that. But I, I'm still not familiar with it, so I'll have to take a look for that. But hey, I want to throw out another credit for Win Irwin because we've talked about this show a number of times. We haven't covered it yet, but I think it's an eventuality. He was a regular on Sugar Time. We will get around to that eventually. We talked about this three years ago. Oh, we've talked about it not just in reference a couple years ago, but when we talked about some of the schedules in 77 and 78, it was on uh, being partnered with uh, some of the shows uh, that failed that year. I'm thinking like Blansky's Beauties or something like that. or Maybe I think Sugar Time was NBC. We might have talked about it recently with uh, 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 Serona's Court. But I'm just taking a look at the guest list. Oh, my holy Hannah. If we're flipping out over the guests on Lots of Luck, oh, Sugar Time, we could be here for hours. Just real fast, uh, the people on Sugar Time, listen to this. Barbie Benton, D.D. Carr, Charles Fleischer, Ted Cassidy. And I know Greg likes his Ted Cassidy references, but I'm saving the best for last because we talk about this guy so much. Oh, he's in the hall this year. I guarantee he's in the hall this year. Terry Kaiser. That'll get him in the hall. Oh, birdie. But yeah, that's like the uh, only other major credit I found for Win Irwin. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2018. And rounding out the cast as Stanley's friend, Bummy. That's his Christian name, Bummy. Jack Knight, who played a detective at the Detective Bureau in L.A. Confidential. He played an umpire in Moneyball, because I know you love Moneyball, Greg. Yeah. And he also played Earl Weaver in Baseball's Last Hero 21 Clemente Stories. Oh, Wow. Well, I'm going to throw another one. He was a supporting character named Jack on the first season of Cheers. Oh, yeah, the first season of Cheers. Yeah, the season where really it barely survived. Yeah, I'm sure like a young Brandon Tartikoff had faith in it. Yeah, oh, of course. Well, remember that first season was like, yeah, all the critics loved it, but it had like no ratings. And then you get this Cosby show. I'm sorry, this Mr. Black show. And you get Family Ties. And you put Night Court in that era as well. And holy Hannah, you've got a show that lasts 10 years. Amazing yeah. how that works. But you know what? The early seasons of the Cheers, you do get Harry Anderson in it. Harry the Hat! But also you get people like Coach. And I mean, Coach didn't last all that long. Coach actually lasted three seasons. Well, I mean, he didn't last as long as Woody or Rebecca. Yeah. And also, really, he wasn't there for the glory days. I mean, maybe he was there for the beginning of the glory days, but yeah, he was one of those at the beginning. But yeah, Jack Knight, after he was done with Cheers, he moved on to uh, some past entries like The Powers of Matthew Starr, 
and blind justice. Ha! Blind justice. Oh, no. Didn't you know think what? That would come up again, did you? You know, it's funny enough. I revisited Blind Justice today before we started. I'm not even joking. If I may ask why? Because I want to listen to an episode that had Rita Sofer on it. Oh, no. I, I thought you were saying you watched an episode of Blind Justice on no! YouTube or something. No. Why oh, would you I watch revis- oh, oh, okay. So you actually downloaded the episode from it was the thing on TV.com. Yes. Another plug. Again, we're coming uh, early with these plugs. Chico's not going to know how to end the show now because we're going to get all the plugs in in the middle of the show. Oh, I'll think of something. Don't worry about it. I'll think of something. But okay, no, I thought you were actually talking about watching the show on YouTube or something. You actually listened to the the podcast. Okay. And he was also on an episode of Pepper Dennis. And I only mentioned Pepper Dennis because Rebecca Romaine, Brooke Burns, Lindsay Price, Ryder Strong, and Pooch Hall are all on it. Greg. You're muted. What the hell did you just say, Greg? Ben, Pooch Hall. What a name. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, you know what? He was an app host for like three weeks. He was? He hosted WinQuick. I don't know what WinQuick is. Good for you. That must have been like before I started with all those apps in 2018. No, that was, that was after you said, you know what, I'm good. I'm done. That was basically the cast, and everybody else was either coming or going from the house and what a house it was we have stanley who's has big dreams he has big dreams and big drive and big ambition he also has a bossy mother iris a constantly put upon sister olive and a slovenly unemployed bum of a husband arthur and they all live in stanley's apartment so when he's not at home, he's working the lost and found department of the city bus company, supporting the entire family. So basically, Stanley is working day to day, putting his dreams on hold in order to provide for his mother, his sister, and his brother-in-law, who refuses to get a job. And all this is fleshed out in the unaired pilot called The Family Flu, where Ma, Iris, and Olive come down with the flu, ruining Stan and Bummy's double date plans. You think they're done with it? Nope. Olive gives the flu to the whole entire family. Hence the title of the episode, The Family Flu. NBC watched the pilot, loved what they saw, ordered 22 episodes. And on September 10th of 1973, Lots of Luck made its debut with Olive's Present. Now, it was rare that the pilot didn't air as the first episode, but that's what happened here. They took an episode and they decided this is going to be our first episode. It's called Olive's Present. Olive gets her foot stuck in the toilet tank after trying to stand on the broken tank lid. In trying to 
excrecated, however, Stanley ends up breaking the whole tank. Oh, jeez. Hey, Patty Duke Aston, what do you have to say about that? Uh-oh. Wait, Patty Duke Aston, did you just pull a Susan? Uh-oh. When Stanley tries to avoid paying the stiff price for a new toilet, because of course he does, and plans to use the money earmarked for Olive's birthday present in the process, she insists that he choose an orange toilet with a purple lid. It was the 70s. It was the it, 70s. Hey, That's you know what? what? The, the only way that this could be even more 70s is you find a shag toilet covering, and I know those exist because I had one growing up. Uh-oh. And if you're listening to this, and if you're of a certain age, then so did you. Don't lie to yourself. Uh-oh. Episode 2, The Bare Facts. Olive is concerned that Arthur has visited the free clinic three times in one week, and that this may be a sign that he's seriously ill. Stanley isn't as concerned about Arthur's well-being, but under pressure from his mother, Stanley calls the clinic and is informed that Arthur hasn't visited the clinic in weeks. Olive, Stanley, and their mother fear that this could mean only one thing. Arthur has found another woman. Patty Duke Aston, just get out of your system. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, we found another new sound effect that we're going to just beat to death. And wait till you find out who the lady is. The lady in question is a lady by the name of Lenore, played by Patty Hyder, who was another that woman from that thing, but she was in three episodes of Marcus Welby, M.D., playing three different characters. Episode 3, Trial Separation. On their seventh wedding anniversary, Olive and Arthur have a terrible fight when Arthur tries to save money by recycling the anniversary card he gave Olive the year before. This leads them to initiate a trial separation Except that because Arthur is unemployed, the separation consists of his sleeping first on the living room couch and then trying to bunk with Stanley. Corky, you want to say anything about this? You won't believe what happened! Episode 4, The Librarian. Stanley's mother invites a librarian over for dinner, thinking she'll be a nice girl for Stanley to meet. Oh, of course. Why not? It's a mother looking after her kid. What's not to like? Initially irritated at his mother's matchmaking, Stanley soon changes his mind when he sees how attractive the woman is. Hmm. As Stanley starts to woo her on his own, however, she warns him that she's not really the kind of girl he thinks. The girl's name is Millie. And, oh god, she is played by Jackie Joseph. Who is just, oh my gracious, what hasn't she been in? She was Sheila Futterman in Gremlins. She was the original Audrey in the original Little Shop of Horrors from 1960. Wow! And she was Mrs. Kirkland in... The best Police Academy movie out there, Come At Me, 
Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. And we'll be talking about someone from the cast of Police Academy 4 in the next episode. Stay tuned. Yeah, I think you guys have said in the past, Police Academy 4 is the best Police Academy movie, and I'm not going to fight you on that. And I do want to add a couple more roles for Jackie Joseph. She was the voice of Melody on Josie and the Pussycats. Nice. But it gets even better because she was on the follow-up series as Melody as well. Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space, and that's on the list. Yes! So that means you could go on HBO Max right now, I believe, and see Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space. Yeah, provided that Discovery hasn't yanked it yet. Well, it was there a while ago, but I think we're going to do a little research while you go to the next episode. All right, I think I'm going to let you. Episode 5, The Suit. Frustrated at the rising cost of living and Arthur's continuing unemployment, Stanley gives Arthur an ultimatum. Get a job, or he'll get no more food paid for by Stanley. Arthur agrees, but another complication arises. Arthur doesn't have a presentable suit for an interview. Stanley's pal Bummy comes up with a solution. Arthur can borrow an expensive suit from the bus company's lost and found department long enough for one interview that looks like a good prospect. Man, he's cheap. It's the 70s, and he's a working-class stiff. What do you expect? But he has to borrow a suit? He has to borrow a suit. That just seems really cheap. Really too frugal, but my opinion... So far, this whole series has read like it was based on something British and perhaps presented like, you know, this cutting-edge comedy, which it really sounds like it is. Let's see what else we can find. Episode 6, Mom's Secret. Stanley and Olive notice that their mother has gone out three nights in a row, supposedly to do the laundry at a laundromat. They become even more suspicious when she almost forgets the laundry bag before she leaves. But then Bunny comes by and partially solves the mystery. He saw her the night before going into a bar, accompanied by a gentleman. Ooh! Oh, you don't know the half of it, Greg. The gentleman is played by Harold Gould. Oh! Mr. Dapper Grandfather himself. Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space is not on HBO Max anymore. Thanks, Warner Brothers Discovery. Thanks a lot, WB Discovery. Jerks. Another crappy move done by that merger. One in a list of many, anyway. Oh, by the way, Harold Gould, he played Arnie Peterson on 13 episodes of The Golden Girls. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah. Did Betty White bang him to death? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Banged someone else to death, though. We won't talk about that yet later, though. He is in an episode of a show that we're covering for Valentine's Day. Tony Franciosa in Finder of Lost Loves. 
which let's be honest, that's Luther Vandross's ticket to the It Was a Thing Hall of Fame. Also remember, it's gotta be Cheryl Teagues. Oh, one more thing I want to add about Harold Gould. He was in an episode of Love American Style, the original. Now that doesn't really make a big difference. I know we talk about the new Love American Style versus the original and whatnot, but most importantly, in the episode Love in the Happy Days, he originated the role of Howard Cunningham. That was kind of sort of the pilot for Happy Days. He created that role of Howard Cunningham. And of course, we know who got it later in the uh, show itself. Tom! Tom there you go. Episode 7, The Winning Purse. Tired of hearing Stanley complain about bills, Arthur offers Stanley an easy way to make money. By following Arthur's horse racing tips. Stanley refuses, but his mother insists upon placing a $2 bet on one of Arthur's hot tips. Stanley believes that this is both foolish and immoral, but reconsiders when two of Arthur's recommendations pay off? What? Huh? Huh? Well, law of averages, the sun's gotta shine on a dog's ass once in a while, right? Playing the role of Ernie Kaplan, who may or may not be Arthur's bookie, a guy we talked about a number of times on this show, Danny Wells. Maybe making a Hall of Fame case? Maybe making a Hall of Fame case. Hey, he was Luigi, damn it. But as we, of course, established in the Quarter Country episode, he did not fall down that elevator shaft on Hell Law. Oh, no, no, no! It was this person. Greg, don't! I really don't want to talk about it. Ah! Oh. Awesome. Oh. oh, my God! Oh, geez, a Pulaski episode? <laughs> I was expecting Chico to say that, but I had to chime in. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. <laughs> if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. It was just right there. It was yeah. asking for it. I know. Oh my gosh. And also on this episode, playing the role of Mr. Feeney, Martin Ash, who was in four episodes of Bewitched, one of which he played Franklin Pierce. Wait a second. Mr. Feeney, wasn't he supposed to be on Boy Meets World? No, you're ah. thinking of another Mr. Feeney. <laughs> you're thinking of the guy who's the voice of a car. Yes. But 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 it says Mr. Feeney there. Okay. Oh, he also played the butler in Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Oh, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. That's when, after 15 years, they finally got off that damn island. Yeah. They got the money from the insurance. They bought a new boat, which they christened the Minnow 2, and crashed on the same damn island. What are the odds? It's like when Felix Leiter was bitten by a shark twice. But only in the continuity of the Bond novels, not in the Only movies. in the continuity of the Bond novels. Got it. Episode 8. The Family Plot. The city of New York sends the Belmonts a letter that in order to expand its airport, 
Yeah, which one? It intends to condemn the cemetery plot where Stanley's and Olive's late father and their mother's late husband is buried. At first, they balk at moving in, but change their minds when they learn that the city is offering $2,000 for the land. It's a lot of money back in 1973. Then Stanley comes to believe that he can finally get his long-desired color television set if they can find a replacement plot for substantially less than the $2,000. Ooh, playing the role of H.R. Bunce, if I'm not mistaken, a uh, representative for the city who volunteers to move the body. Henry Corden. Now, the name may not sound familiar, but his voice is hella familiar. And we talked about him on this show before. We talked about him back at the uh, Weird Al show, where he played perhaps the main voice that he's known for, Fred Flintstone. Yep, he took over the role when Alan Reed died. Episode 9, The Shrink. Stanley's insomnia has woken up the entire household. His best friend, Bummy, tells Stanley that the bus company they work for are thinking of demoting him to driving a bus. He talks Stanley into seeing a psychiatrist, Dr. Schrager, played by Elliot Reed, Dr. Schrager feels his problems stem from anger towards his wife, who may have grown unattractive, takes refuge in eating, is lazy, and refuses to do any kind of work. And invents some mythical illness to justify it. Possibly dresses in a slovenly manner, maybe even slops about the house all day in a housecoat. Stanley is single, but the behaviors perfectly describe his brother-in-law, Arthur. I'll review this. Dr. Schrager feels his problems stem from anger towards his wife, who may have grown unattractive, takes refuge in eating, is lazy and refuses to do any kind of work, and invents some mythical illness to justify it, possibly dresses in a slovenly manner, maybe even slops about the house all day in a housecoat. Again, Stanley, not married, but that describes Arthur to a T. So Stanley brings Arthur with him next time upon the doctor's suggestion, and he further says that in order for Stanley to get regular sleep, he must be Arthur's friend. A cure that is potentially worse than the disease. Episode 10, The New Stan. Stanley strikes out after going through his little black book, his best friend, Bummy, comes over and suggests them going out to a mod singles bar. They go to a clothing store called Mr. Mister to find Stanley an appropriate outfit to wear. At the bar, Stan is misfiring on all cylinders despite his new velvet suit. Bummy tells Stan the problem is his hair's wide part. He gets a wig at the barber shop that makes him look much younger and sparks a large laugh from his brother-in-law, Arthur. Stanley gets in trouble at the bar when he's mistaken for being one of the young troublemakers. Talk about flipping your lid, am I right? We have a name in this episode. Playing Tony is Sammy Shore. I thought we talked about him in the past, but I... Cannot find anything we've talked about him on. 
the main reason I bring him up is he's Polly Shore's dad. Oh. Oh wow, we know obviously who Polly Shore's mom is. We don't know about his dad. No, his dad was on this episode. Yeah. Episode 11, Arthur's Inheritance. A telegram arrives for Arthur, the contents of which he tries to hide from the family. Stanley presses him at the dinner table by threatening to cut off his food supply. His 93-year-old Uncle Elroy in Montana has died and left him a little something. Arthur phones the lawyer to learn that he will inherit $20,000, but tells the family it's only 20 bucks at a cowboy saddle. His wife, Olive, was listening on the other phone and comes into the kitchen about to faint, making her mother think it's the fumes from the cabbage. Stanley is upset by the turn of events and decides to add up all the meals he has mooched off the family and hit him with a bill. The total is 7,000 meals for which he charges a dollar a meal. Arthur's bank gives him a credit card and suggests he invests the money in a condominium in Honolulu. They also say he doesn't have to pay the meal tab, so Stanley now charges $40 rent per week. The lawyer, who is played by Alvy Moore, who you know as Hank Kimball from Green Acres, visits him after the will is settled, and Arthur learns that there is one certain condition to the inheritance. It doesn't say what it is. Hold on. He was supposed to pay $40 in what? $40. Oh, I see where you're going with this. He's paying $40 rent. Of rent! $40 of rent! I want to see rent. You guys are goofing about that. I'm dead over the fact that this woman fainted because of the fumes of boiling cabbage. It's not sauerkraut. It's boiling cabbage. It shouldn't smell that bad. It doesn't smell like anything. It doesn't taste like anything either. That's what I'm saying. It's boiling cabbage. Yeah, Irish is just a rubbish cook. Or maybe she can't tell the difference between cabbage and sauerkraut or something. I don't know. I I understand that sauerkraut, you know, that is really pungent. But cabbage? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Not buying it. Nuh-uh. No. And I like a good cabbage, especially... On St. Patrick's Day, a little bit of cabbage with the uh, brisket of corned beef. Oh, that's a meal and a half. And apparently the stipulation is he has to share it with the rest of the family. And Arthur just cannot bring himself to do it, so... Of course he can't. Okay, so the next episode, The Belmont Connection. A man brings a package into the lost and found where Stanley and Bummy work. Another man named... Mr. Smith, arrives a few minutes later to pick up the package. At home, Stanley's dinner is interrupted by Columbo lookalike Lieutenant Milford with the police department's Bureau of Narcotics. He informs Stanley that they believe the lost and found will be used as a drop for drugs. Stanley tells Bummy about the situation the next day, comparing it to the French Connection. They become suspicious about a woman named Miss Jones who comes to pick up a package. 
Lieutenant Milford learns that the drop will occur the next morning and he will be there with undercover agents surrounding the place in all disguises. There is a moment where Stanley points a submarine sandwich with a planted microphone at the man who comes for the package. The mic falls out of the sandwich and Stanley and Lieutenant Milford are held at gunpoint as hostages. Can they be saved by the unlikeliest of heroes? Probably Arthur. <laughs> so we have a whole host of uh, host of people here. The man with the gun is played by J.J. Barry, and that's not the guy who hosts the Joker's Wild. Sorry. And Mr. Smith, played by Joe Cortese, who you would remember as Gio Loscudo opposite Vigo Mortensen in Green Book. The name might be Cortez. It's spelled C-O-R-T-E-S-E. But remember, Dan Cortez from MTV spelled his name the same way. So it might be Joe Cortez. Well, later he would credit himself as Dan Cortese. Regardless. I also want to bring up him because, Greg, you're going to love this. Hope you're sitting. He was on three episodes of 18 Wheels of Justice. Oh, that's terrific. 18 Wheels of Justice. Yeah. Oh, I knew you'd love that. What a legendary show. It's a shame we don't have these episodes. V.I., Mill Creek, Kino Warber, somebody put this series back on DVD. Please. I'm not paying 100 bucks for the episodes in English. Well, enjoy them in French then, Greg, you cheapskate. Chica, what were you going to say about Green Book? I was just about to say, this is the classiest credit he's probably ever going to have on this show. He played Sal in two episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, that's terrific. What episodes? They would be The Gang Gets Whacked, Part 2, and... Two episodes later, the gang dances their asses off. Oh, that's a great episode. You were talking about J.J. Barry earlier? J.J. Barry, yes. He played a godfather in a season four episode of Soap. Episode 13. Will you marry me? Nope. Stanley has been dating a new woman named Marcia and invites her to dinner to meet his family. Sure you want to do that, Stanley? As the evening progresses, Stanley decides that it's finally time to pop the question. He learns, however, that as a modern woman, Marcia has other ideas about how a couple could and should determine their compatibility before marriage. So it's not exactly a funny episode, but it's a rather clever one, I think. It's one of the stronger episodes. Hey, the person that played that girl, Marsha? Uh-huh. Pat Finley. The biggest role I'd say she had was she played Ellen Hartley on the Bob Newhart show. She played Bob Hartley's sister for about two seasons. Episode 14. Do me a favor. One of Stanley's old friends from the neighborhood, Nunzio Ferentino, is now Rick Ferris, a successful singer who lives in Hollywood. When the Belmonts learn that Nunzio slash Rick is putting on a show in New York, they get the idea to call him for free tickets. 
Stanley decides to take advantage of the tickets to get a date with an attractive woman in the parts department at the bus company, but things don't work out quite as Stanley intends. Stanley gives the ticket to the woman, Lois. They visit Nunzio slash Rick and his entourage in his dressing room after the show. By the way, those two tickets are the last two in the whole city. So yeah. And future Hall of Famer playing Nunzio Ferentino slash Rick Ferris. Alex Rocco! That's <laughs> terrific! Alex Rocco! Making his case for the Hall of Fame. Of course, where do we know him from? The famous Teddy Z. And of course... No, no, no! We know him as the voice of B. Arthur in the Tony Danza movie <laughs> about That's Joe right. Swanson. Oh You'll God. never make it, Joe! Why don't you just give up? You know what? It was a big stretch probably for Tony Danza to not play a character named Tony. And you know what? God bless him for it. For playing the role of Joe Swanson. And of course, he got Valerie Bertinelli as a wife. We should all be so lucky. Yes. But hold on. You mentioned Tony Danza, so keep talking. I'm going to be searching for something. Okay. Barbara Brownell plays Lois, and she was and is a very attractive lady. She was, during the 80s, a that woman from that thing, but she played three different characters on... Three different episodes of the original Night Court. She played Mrs. Laporta, Mrs. McDonald, and Mrs. Sanders. That seems so weird. We now have to preface that with the original Night Court. Yes. She was... Oh my god! Oh my god! Y'all! 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 She was in the video, Be Somebody or Be Somebody's Fool. Oh, that's terrific! Mother! I always love her. My mother. So treat her right. Treat her. You know what? Whenever I think of that, you know what I think of whenever I think of Mr. T doing that? I think of his stirring WWE Hall of Fame speech where he spent like, it seems like an hour talking about his mother and the crowd saying, Thank you, Mama! <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Mama! mama. I think we need a moment to uh, collect ourselves. Why don't we watch a few era-appropriate commercials, and we'll come back and do the rest of the run. How about that? After these messages, we'll be right back. Ever stay at a hotel you thought was convenient, only to find out your business is way across town? Well, Holiday Inn gives you a choice of locations in every major city. Just look at the time. There's another Holiday Inn. And as every businessman knows, that can really pay off. You're late. What kept you? Oh, the traffic was murder. Should have stayed at the Holiday Inn. Get closer to your business with Holiday Inn, the most accommodating people in the world. Here she is, the finest you can buy. How do I know? I made them by hand. Took me 12 days. For you, a bargain at 80 bucks. Now here we got the opposition. Farrah Double Knits at 20 bucks. Their secret? A great fit. And I hate to admit it, a lot of pant for the money. What am I wearing? You've got to be kidding. I know a great buy when I see one. Ferris slacks, $10 to $30. Next best thing to tailor-made. Maybe better. 
Hello, I'm the cooking lady with a marvelous dinner idea for these hectic holidays. Take your roasting pan, your skillet, your mixing bowls, and get rid of them. <laughs> Just get Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Colonel's salads, his mashed potatoes and gravy, his desserts. It's a delicious, complete meal. And cooking is such a drag, anyway. Well, bon appetit, or as the Colonel says, seasoned greetings. Hello. Uh, good morning. I'm your future. Yeah, my who? Your future. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to run. Yes, the present does keep you quite busy. Still, you can't help wondering what's in your future. Well, could you just give me a little hint? Well, there's that country place, you know, the one down by the lake. Yeah. Now, speaking as your future, I'd say buy savings bonds now in the present. Well, be seeing you. Well, wait a minute. Uh, hello? Hello? Now, in the zenith tradition of dependability and picture excellence, comes a whole new television system. New Zenith Solid State Chroma Color 2, with a more powerful solid state chassis, a unique voltage regulator to protect components, and an advanced chroma color picture tube. You get Zenith dependability and Zenith's best color picture yet. New Zenith Solid State Chroma Color 2. At Zenith, the quality goes in before the name goes on. Welcome back from commercials. And while we were having that break, I showed Mike and Chico that little bit of research. And Chico, can you say what I found? Okay, it's a good thing I warmed up here. The garbage picking, field goal kicking, Philadelphia phenomenon, which features Tony Danza as a kicker. For the Philadelphia Eagles. And making a cameo in that movie is Philadelphia Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie. But also, you know who played the stand-in for Tony Danza in that movie with the kicking? I know who I know who it is because I'm looking right at it. Place kicker for the Indianapolis Colts and the Toronto Argonauts, Mike. Vanderjat. And you know what that means. I'm about to go in and throw a touchdown to Jerry Rice. We're honoring the Hall of Fame. We're talking about our idiot kicker who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. Yeah, he was called an idiot kicker. Yes. The greatest reign of all time by Peyton Manning. <laughs> our idiot kicker who got liquored up. Episode 15. Stan and the Wealthy Widow. The Belmonts entertain Stanley's former acquaintance from high school, Wilma Wallachek, who at the time was known as Two-Ton Wallachek. Wilma's now out of the Marine Corps, slims down considerably, and the widow of an elderly man who ran a cat food company. Wilma's still grateful to Stanley because he was the only boy who was kind to her in high school. Offers him a job with her company, or at a substantial increase in pay over the bus company, Stanley, though put off by some of Wilma's annoying personal quirks, eagerly accepts, but soon learns that Wilma has an ulterior motive for her generosity. Look at this name playing Wilma. Oh, I'm looking at it. Ruth Buzzy. So she would have left uh, laughing probably a year or two earlier, because that ended in like 73-ish? Yep. Okay. So this is around that same time. 
plus Ruth Buzzy as a Marine veteran. I can see it. But there is an ulterior motive. Wilma wants to repay Stanley's kindness. Physically. Oh! <laughs> Episode 16, The Talent Show. The annual bus company talent show has come around again with the first prize, a week's vacation in Miami. Stanley and Bummy initially discuss reviving their routine as a music and comedy duo, but when they have a falling out, Stanley decides to present a magic act, which owes more than a little to Dom DeLuise's alter ego as the inept magician Dominic the Great. To complete the act, he recruits the voluptuous Rene Muldoon as his stage assistant, whom he also would like to accompany him to the trip to Miami if he wins. So yeah, this is essentially an episode length bit with Dominic the Great. Which is one of uh, Dom DeLuise's characters. By the way, playing the role of Rene Muldoon, familiar name, Louisa Moritz. Where most people would know her from, she appeared on a number of weeks of Match Game back in, like, 74, 75. Where other people would know her, she played Myra in Death Rates 2000. And, and with all due respect, since she did pass uh, four years ago at this point, whenever I saw her on Match Game, I would not call her Louisa Moritz. I'd call her Louisa the Ditz. She was! I'm sorry! He was a death. With all due respect to the deceased. Hey, another name. Uh, first off, Danny Wells is in this episode too. He comes back as Ernie Kaplan. But in this episode playing Ronnie, who I'm guessing is somebody who uh, works at the bus uh, depot, the bus company, is Johnny Brown. We've talked about him. Well, first off, he just died last year, unfortunately. But he was on Good Times. He was Nathan Bookman. But also... We've sort of referred to him in the past because, Greg, he was on the Christmas week of Beat the Clock in 1979. I remember that week. That was a good week. I think he was paired with Patty Deutsch, if I'm not mistaken. He was. And I just want to see Greg's reaction. I mean, notice he's now like totally stone cold, dead quiet, because he's just in amazement. I somehow pigeonholed a reference to Beat the Clock from 1979. In this episode. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, and as we're talking today, I think uh, Buzzer had their Lost and Found week, and they did air some Beat the Clock Gene Wood episodes. They did. That was something. But, but not the Canadian ones. No, that was Canadian. Oh, that was Canadian? Huh, I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, when they say, oh, from Montreal, yeah, they're Canadian. Okay. Plus, they had Nick Verhollenrake. He was the announcer on the Mad Dash and other Canadian game shows. Episode 17. A Little Order of Law and Order. The Belmont household is the victim of burglary. Not getting much help from the police, Stanley decides to install a burglar alarm, but finds that it is not particularly effective. So Stanley decides to move on to an alternate plan. Getting a killer watchdog. 
He gets this dog from the animal shelter. It's trained to attack strangers. But here's the thing. It takes up a bond with Arthur. So, the killer dog? Not a killer. Hell, Arthur's more of a killer than the dog. And the burglar hits the home again. What's a boy to do when the burglar hits the same house twice? What is a boy to do? Episode 18. You ought to be in pictures. Stan decides to compete for the part of Driver Dan, the bus company's spokesman in a series of local television commercials. His everyman look, such as being chubby and balding, hi, how you doing, seems to get him the part. But when he's invited to audition on a television set, Stan discovers that there's more to appearing in a television commercial than just smiling and saying a few words for the camera. The director, who is played by the inimitable Ronnie Shell, wants to test him for the part, but he insists he lose 10 pounds by the next week. But he's not the only name in this episode, is he? Because playing the announcer of the Driver Dan commercials, John Harlan. Oh! Man of a thousand voices, all of them his own. And then we have Jerry Fogle, who would have been in ten episodes of The White Shadow, playing the role of Buzz, who is, uh, I guess, one of Stan's co-workers at the bus company. But White Shadow wouldn't come until much, much later. Episode 19, Stan's Assistant. Because of the energy crisis, more people are riding the bus, and more items are piling up in the Lost and Bound department, creating a different crisis for Stanley. His boss decides to hire an assistant for Stanley, and he suggests a guy he knows. His ne'er-do-well brother-in-law, Arthur. Stanley soon discovers that not only does this mean working eight hours a day with his detested relative, but that his boss shows signs of preferring Arthur as an employee over Stanley. So, this, perhaps, of the uh, 22 episodes is perhaps the most telling of the times that we live in, because, again, we're talking about early to mid-1970s, what's going on? The energy crisis. The side effect? Everybody's riding the bus. The side effect of that? Everybody's getting their stuff lost. Stan needs an assistant. Here comes Arthur. There's one kind of sort of name in this episode playing Mullins is Cliff Norton. And the only reason I mentioned Cliff Norton, I think we've talked about him in the past or talked about this show. Uh, this may even be a future installment. He played Ed Huddles on the cartoon... Where's Huddles? What's Huddles? Forget where's Huddles. What's Huddles? Well, you mean what's where's Huddles? Okay, now this is becoming a big, like, you know, who's on first type of thing. So what is where's Huddles? According to IMDb, the misadventures of a team of football players and their families on and off the field, an animated series from 1970. And it's a Hanna-Barbera joint, it looks like. Ah, but listen to some of these names. Oh, my gosh. Cliff Norton, Mel Blank, Paul Lind, 
Gene Vanderpill, Dick Enberg, Don Messick, Alan Reed, Nancy Culp, Joe Besser. How about that? That's like a murderer's row of just great talent. We may have to save this for uh, Super Bowl week 2024. Oh, that's an idea. Episode 20. Arthur makes his move. Arthur discovers that his old Navy buddy Monroe is being treated at the same clinic that Arthur uses. Arthur invites Monroe over to dinner and Stanley finds Monroe to be the same kind of freeloader as Arthur is. But Monroe helps bring change to the Belmont household when Arthur reacts to an insult from Stanley by moving into Monroe's apartment. Monroe? Playing the role of Monroe, Alan Oppenheimer. Oh, I was hoping for Jim J. Bullock. No, he'd be too young. Especially in 1974. But man, oh man, where have we talked about Alan Oppenheimer in the past? Plenty of things. Skeletor. Yep. He was Skeletor, the original He-Man of the Masters of the Universe. Does this also mean he was on that Christmas special? Yes. Yes, it does. So, so he has a direct relationship with the dildo copter. Oh, no. <laughs> you knew if I was going to bring up the holiday special, you knew the dildo copter was coming up. Don't pretend that you didn't know that. I'm not even going to try and pretend. You just feel dirty even acknowledging it. I wake up feeling dirty. Thank you very much. By the way, he also played Skeletor in the Chippendales Rescue Rangers movie from last year. Oh, yes. But he plays King Grayskull in the current run of the show, so it all comes full circle for him. Episode 21, Bummy's Girl. Bummy has fallen hard for his new girlfriend, Gloria, so much so that he's even thrown away his little black book. While he's off visiting his parents in Baston, Bummy asks Stanley to take Gloria out so that he can be sure no one else is dating her. Stanley complies, of course, and is astonished to find that Gloria begins to refer his company to the handsome Bummy. Playing the role of Gloria, y'all. Big name. Suzanne Summers. woo How did she land Bummy? But yeah, this is uh, Suzanne Summers' first grown-up television role. And amazingly enough, it came three years before the role that she would come to be known for, Chrissy Snow in Bree's Company. And this was only one year removed from her playing an elusive blonde in the T-Bird in American Graffiti. Final episode, Get Off My Back which is probably what Stanley's been saying to his entire family this whole time. In the final episode, we find Stanley at work. His mom calls to tell him that his brother-in-law, Arthur, overflowed his bathtub and it leaked, creating a hole in their ceiling. Stanley returns home, climbs a ladder to repair the damage. Bubby comes over and swings open the kitchen door, knocking Stanley off the ladder, injuring him. And after the do I have a son or do I have a son routine that his mom does, 
He agrees to go to the clinic Arthur sees. The doctor suggests physical therapy three times a week at $15 a visit. Stanley can't stomach the expense and takes Bubby's suggestion to stage the accident at work so he can get workers' compensation. Things, however, take an unexpected turn. One of the people in this episode, Mr. Henderson, played by Bob Hoy. Bob Hoy from The High Chaparral and The Outlaw Josie Wales. And that's the show. I mean, we all see how it all plays out with, you know, Stanley with his dreams and his drive. He is the classic victim of circumstance, and that feeds into Don DeLuise's sort of comedy, doesn't it? And it's incredibly well-written. It's incredibly well-acted. This was a show that was engineered for success. So, what happened? Well, the short answer is, it couldn't find an audience. Yes, it had critical success, but that means nothing if you can't find an audience. And if we look at the schedule here, because I have the schedule, it aired Monday nights on NBC, paired with another future entry, Diana, with Diana Rigg. That was a really bad place to put a really promising show. Not so much what was on ABC at the time, which was The Rookie, but what was on CBS at the time? Little show, you may have heard of it. Gunsmoke. Oh. And Gunsmoke, I believe, lasted until 75. So this is like the dying days of Gunsmoke. The, the dying days of Gunsmoke is still attracting an audience. I have the season average up here from the TVRatingsGuide.com and Gunsmoke was still in the top 20, placing 12th overall for the season. The other 12 shows in the listing, All the Family, The Walton, Sanford and Son, Mash, White, 5 Mod, Kojak, Sonny and Cher, Mary Teller, Moore, Cannon, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bob Newhart Show, The Wonderful World of Disney. So yeah, this would have been number 16 or 17 of 19 seasons for Gunsmoke. And still to this day holds the record for longest-running Western television show. By the way, The Rookies, not to be outdone, was top 30. So I'm looking at the averages of the two TV shows. Gunsmoke had a 22.3 rating. The Rookies had a 20.3. Lots of Luck had a 16.9, which... Was good enough to get it to run the entire season, but not any further. With the show failing to find an audience on NBC, NBC was just good to let it go. But don't cry for the career of Dom DeLuise. He's been active up until his death. But if you want to watch this TV show... You can catch select episodes unofficially on YouTube. However, and I don't often get to say this, this show did get an official DVD release. 
Smores Entertainment put the entire series on DVD. It's out of print, so it captures a large price on the secondary market. And as a man much wiser than I once said, if you see one, grab it. If you see two, leave one for the next collector. But yeah, uh, lots of luck. Show had a lot of promise, but it also had a lot of competition. It could have been the next edgy sitcom to come out of the 70s, but opposite Gunsmoke and the Rookies, unfortunately, it just became a thing on TV. Well, we have some more Lost and Found gems and are Lost and Found at it was a thing on TV.com. We have almost 450 episodes worth of content from main episodes, mini-sodes, live watches, all of the things that we put out over the last three years are there. They are also available where fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember, like and subscribe, rate and review, five stars only because positive vibes only. And if you're on our YouTube page, please don't forget to smash that notification bell so you can stay up to date with all of our future entries, including what happens when a divorced lawyer takes his three kids out to the countryside and focuses on his career other than his children? Well, one of the children makes a wish and... Somebody from Police Academy 4 shows up. Wait, Bobcat Goldthwait shows up? Oh god, don't you wish. <laughs> You'll find out who it is next time here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! I wish I was dead. To be or not to be, to live in a box, or to make merry, party time, arriba. Who said that? Me, I did, pal. It's me. You want us to draw you a map? Inside the box. Inside the box. Yeah. Right. This is one of those hidden video shows, right? Wrong. Okay, you got me. Where are the cameras? No cameras, no special effects. Just little old me inside this little old box. Get it? How'd you get in there? Long story, pal, but right now, the secret word is open sesame. Who are you? Ah, listen, pal, you couldn't even pronounce my name, but I'll tell you what, you can call me Munchie. Hey, how about pulling out that pin so I can get out of here? You won't hurt me. Hurt you? Hey, pal, I'm your new friend. I help, I dazzle, I make better. I'm friendly to a fault. That's it, that's it. Whoa! Ooh, just what I always wanted, a room with a view. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss, my wife. Honey, you lose me, then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, come on and tell me I'm your own. Hey, I'm losing the crowd. What I do?